I couldn't help but think about my own story a little bit when uh, when I was getting ready to do this. And I, we was laughing about the video. Just a couple more things about Father's Day you might not know. But uh, it's not. It's somewhere around the third or fourth most celebrated holiday on the list. Not even close to first. Christmas is first. Anybody know what's second? Mother's Day. All of us old telephone people, it was the busiest call day of the year. You better call Mama. Daddy don't really care one way or the other. So it's about third on the list. Also, Mama's gift usually runs about $40 more than Dad's gift, if he even gets one. So, <laughs> or the tithe, you know. And so that happens sometimes. And the other thing was, you might not know, it was even started by a woman. We didn't come up with our own day at the... This is very quickly. Father's Day was first celebrated in Spokane, Washington on June the 19th, 1910. So Nora Dodd originally thought of that idea while listening to a Mother's Day sermon the previous year. Her and her five siblings were raised single-handedly by their father who, who, after their mother died during childbirth. By 1924, the idea of a National Father's Day was so popular that President Calvin Coolidge supported it. However, it was not until 1966 that a presidential proclamation declared that the third Sunday of June is Father's Day. That proclamation was not signed until 1972, and it was signed by Richard Nixon. So it took us to 1972 to even get our own day. So, <laughs> so we started out behind as we started as we started out in this. My story, a little bit, I, I couldn't help but laughing about it. And I can remember my first daughter was born in 1975. I was 25 years old. I done had military behind me. I had a great job. You couldn't tell me anything at that age. I knew everything about everything there was to know about everything in this world. I had, and so this thing about being a dad is no big deal, you know. I do that like everything else. And I can remember being at the hospital, and this is before you could go in the delivery rooms, and this is before you even knew what your child was going to be when they were born. And uh, I was standing out there, and... Finally, they came out and said, you, have, you have, have a beautiful daughter. And when they rolled her up to this window, and you guys can, your life changes forever when it's your first one. You don't realize there's this wave of emotion and, and, and instantaneous love that you have that you don't realize is coming. I think some pride, because mine was the prettiest one in there. You know how that goes. They, they wasn't a beautiful baby in the hospital than, than my first daughter when she was born. But right behind that is this wave of, of fear. A good fear, but fear of anxiety, of the monumental responsibility that just hits you in the face when you go, oh, my Lord, I'm responsible for this child for the rest of my life, in some sense of the word. You hope to get them out of the house about 20. <laughs> but just understanding it, and your life changes forever. And up until that time, you are, you know, you're a beloved son and a well-thought-of son-in-law, and as soon as they see that grandchild, they forget your name. You're just somebody to go get something after that. But that's okay. That's what dads are supposed to do. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. And I was thinking about what I wanted to say this morning in, in reference to dads and not just get up here and, and, and talk about three or four funny things about Father's Day. I saw a clip on TV this week that just really pushed me towards what I wanted to talk about. And it's, it's, going to be, it's challenging. There was a fellow here in Nashville on the news that had 22 children. I don't know if y'all saw this, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to go anywhere with this. Several moms, and I thought, what a degrading portrayal of fatherhood, because they was interviewing, and it was just laughter, and, and it's like nobody cared. And I thought, how unfair to the dads who spent years in the trenches, hours, sleepless nights, tears, praying, 
and done what you're supposed to do as a dad to fulfill those roles and to boil it down to say that fatherhood is just, I have children. And I don't have to tell anybody in this room that that's, that's a lie. We know that's not the truth. But I think we're seeing more and more of that in society today. And it and, and kind of led me to what I wanted to talk about this morning. The title of what I wanted to, uh, to say was, Real Men, Real Fathers, and Endangered Species. And I think they are for some basic reasons. Now, there's a room full of great people, men, right here. I know that. But society in general, it's under attack. There's never been a time in our nation, I don't think, where there's a greater need in probably our society and probably our world when we need men, real men and real fathers, to step back up to the plate and take on the God-given responsibility that we have been given to be the backbone of the society, of the home, and of the things we're doing and supposed to be doing out here. Take care of our God-given business. There is such a need for that. And, 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 guys, we have to take some of the blame for that as men in general because a lot of the issues out here is because we failed in those areas. Now, when I say real men and real dads, I'm not talking about machoism. And I'm not talking about 10-foot tall and bulletproof. That'll just get you killed. I'm not talking about Hollywood, movie stars. I'm not talking about NFL athletes. I'm not talking about the rich and famous. I'm not even talking about successful in the world's eyes. That's not the type of guy man I'm talking about here. When I'm talking about real men and real dads, I'm talking about everyday, plain old family men who love God, who love the family, and who live their life accordingly. They're not afraid to put God first in their life. They're not afraid to step out and be counted. Men who, love, who put their family and friends before themselves. A man who understands and accepts the, uh, the, the issue of self-sacrifice. Being a dad is sacrificial. You're, you're third or fourth or fifth on that list, whatever you need to be, because when you take on that role of fatherhood, you take on a responsibility of saying, all these others come before me, because God's put me in that role and God's given me that role. I'm talking about a man of integrity, of humility, of honesty. I'm talking about a man with moral standards that, that are untouchable. I'm talking about a man who will give you his word, shake your hand, and take that commitment to the grave with him if he needs to regardless of what everybody else does. A man that when he says he's your friend, he's your friend whether you're up or down. That's the kind of man I'm talking about. A man who comes home to his family after work and he spends more time with them than he does his hobbies. I'm talking about a man who loves his home and his family and will do whatever he has to do to keep it safe and provided for, regardless if it costs him a lot personally. A man who understands and embraces the responsibility of spiritual leadership in the home a man with passion for life, compassion for others, and the confidence and the courage to feel the responsibility that God's given him. That's the type of man I'm talking about there. That is the type of man we need. And, and they're in short supply today, and I think there's two reasons for it. Number one, society don't really want that type of man anymore. Society don't portray that type of man. Society don't support that type of man. And if you don't believe that, just turn on TV and look at your sitcoms. The husbands, the dads, the men, and all those, they're either entangled in some kind of moral or ethical failure, negative, which the TV show is usually painting up to be positive. They're into all kind of different things. Or they're portrayed as some poor guy that can't hardly even tie his shoes. And, and the wife and the kids and everybody, they make fun of him. He has to be helped doing anything. So we've painted this picture of degrading manhood. And uh, one of the things that we see in this, 
I think the reason society does not want that type of man is because the type of man I just described, he puts God back on the throne. He puts God first in his life. He puts God first in society. He puts God first in the world. When he puts God first, he says we are accountable to someone other than ourselves. We are accountable to him. We're dependent on him for our livelihood. We have a society today that does not want to be accountable to anybody. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They don't want to be subject to anybody. And so to, to promote this type of manhood and this type of fatherhood is to really say, yes, there's a God. Yes, He rules all. Yes, He's sovereign. And yes, we are accountable to Him. And we know society as a whole today is pushing that, that that's not a popular thing to do. So I think that's one of the reasons we deal with it in such an issue there. I think the other thing is because being this type of man that I just talked about, it's very, it's very, it's a very sacrificial role. It's, it's a very challenging. It can be painful. It can be lonely at times. There's, it's a lot goes into it. It's, uh, it's, it costs a man a lot to be this type of man. It's lonely at times. Sometimes it's just you and God wondering what's going to happen. It's sleepless nights. It's tears. It's praying over kids. It's praying over, will a job hold out? Are things going to work? work out. And you do those things sometimes as a father and as a dad and as a man because that's what God has called you to do. And uh, we live today, but the problem is we live in a very self-indulgent society today. And uh, it's, it's an I, me, mine society. And you see that in everything you look at. And it's, I have rights. I, I, I want to be happy. I have my needs. I have my wants. I have my desires. And I should be able to have them. And so what happens in the process is we sacrifice a lot of these responsibilities we have. You know, we, we look at the issues we're dealing with in, with our children in society today. Just any problem you want to name, it's, it's there in the church or out of the church. But what's happening with parents, I have a friend at work that's dealing with this right now with some parents that didn't want to take responsibility. But what we have is parents who give their kids what they want, let their kids do what they want to, and then I have time to do my thing. God never said that I should have time to do everything I want to do. He said I'll have time to do the things I need to do if I'm living a godly life. And I struggle with this every day myself. Keeping God first is a tough, tough thing to do, Dad. And it's a challenge to us to do that. But it's something the world needs. And even for us that have our children out and gone and doing well, we still have a responsibility to be a, to be a mentor and to be an example to those coming up. I mean, every young person in this church, every young man in this church needs to be able to look at any man in this church and say, I hope I grow up to be halfway as good as he is, or to halfway like him. We're all, somebody is always watching us. Somebody is always needing our encouragement, always needing our example. And so that's one of the calls I think as dads we have. But we're struggling with those two things in society every day as we go through it. So, so once to see, how do, we, how do we get back on track of becoming that type of man? What, what is it that we've missed in society? And what will society, what can we do to bring ourselves back to the basics? What's the key? And uh, just looking through this uh, scripture this morning, I want to go to Psalms 128. Is, is a passage of scripture that I think speaks very clear to this. And it's so simple. It's two commands and four little provisions, but it'll lay a cornerstone for life that guarantees us if we'll just do what God says do, We'll be fine in, in this. And let me say one more thing this morning. We're talking about fathers this morning. But, and you may be here and you may not have children of your own. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a spiritual father to somebody. 
Somebody needs your encouragement. Somebody needs your love. Somebody needs your example. Even even some of you young folks that don't have children yet, because it's just you know it's it's not it's not that time in your life. Somebody needs your example. You are an example. Don't forget that somebody is always watching. Christian believers. Psalms one twenty eight. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around the table. Thus the man, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. There's a couple of things I want to look at here very quickly. Fear the Lord. We see that passage all through Scripture. There is any number of references in Scripture that says, Fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's he talking about here with fear? He's not talking about terror. He's not talking about being afraid to approach Him. He's talking about love. He's talking about reverence. He's talking about respect. God's talking about, I'm sovereign. I'm jealous. It's me or nobody. That's one of the things we've lost. We we have so pulled God off of the throne today. I think in our, in our churches and out of our churches, that uh, that He demands to be first. When when He when He talks to us, Psalms one twenty one verse one says this: "Blessed is the man who fears the Lord." He said, "Blessed, God will bless a man that honors and respects and, and loves God and fears God and and reverences God." Is what He's talking about here in the sense of the word. Remember in Joshua 24, you find the same thing as Israel had come into the land of Canaan. And Joshua calls everybody together in, in, in chapter 24, and God says, tell them this. And Joshua, he, go, he, he starts at Abraham's father, and he walks all the way through the process of where they're living now. When it, when he, and when he got right down to the end of this passage, he said, I sent the hornet ahead of you and drove them out before you, and also the Amorite kings. And this is what Joshua said to Israel. He said, you did not do it with your own sword and your own bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil. In other words, you didn't work for it. And cities you did not build, and you live in them, and you eat from the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. God said, everything you have, I gave you. Everything we have, God's given to us. I don't care. If it's not for Him, we don't have it. Because the talent, the ability, the opportunities come, it comes from God. And this is what He said in verse 14. He said, now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. So you see that passage again. God said, I have brought you here, but I demand to be feared. You read back through the Old Testament. God was not playing with this, this jealous thing. He said, I'm a jealous God. He is not going to share us with this world. He is not going to share a composite of, world, of worldly religion and what we bring to Him every day. And then also in that passage, when you look back on it, and He told him, He said, you know, to fear the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 10.27 says this, The fear of the Lord adds length to life. He even says, hey, you'll live longer with, just a, with, with reverencing God. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil. The fear, Proverbs 15.23, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. So fear and reverence of God actually teaches us, teaches us how to live, teaches us what we need to know and what we need to do. Revelation 14:7 is a great passage. It said, "Fear God and give Him the glory, because the hour of judgment has come." Even in the last days, you know, God's still calling for that fear and that reverence. It said, "Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, and the springs of the water." 
God demands to be first. God never ceases wanting us to understand that He is a sovereign God, that He created everything, that He is a jealous God, that He loves us, but He expects us to love Him back and love Him back 100% and not share Him with anybody. And so that's one of the issues that, that we see here. But so fear God. We find the first thing that He said in this passage in guaranteeing a blessed life to have a good reverent fear of God. In other words, get up every morning and understand that God is my substance, that God is I'm accountable, that God is my very breath. The next breath all of us take, God holds in His hand. And when we come to understand that and come to put our life in order and go, yeah, I've got to do this today, I've got to go to work, I've got deadlines, I've got meetings, I've got this, and God says, yeah, but you've got to breathe about every second, and I hold that in my hand. And if we can, if we can bring ourselves to understanding that and grasping that more, and honoring Him, and, he, and we'll talk here in just a minute about some of the promises He makes to us. Then the second part of this, He says in, in, in the second part of verse 1, who walk in His ways. He said, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. So what is He talking about when He said walks in His ways? In other words, don't just do it with your lips. Do it with your life. Live it out. And, that, and that's the challenge here, to, to live this out. And, and he talks about it in also in, in, in Psalms 12, just a little bit, in 112. He said, the man who fears the Lord and finds great delights in his commands. All right, what's the Lord's commands? I mean, how do we know what the Lord commands? How do we know about God? His Scripture. So he's saying here, if I have great delight in his word, then I'm going to be doing what? I'm going to be studying. I'm going to be putting out effort to know. I'm going to be trying to to have more and more knowledge of God's Word, to not just have it laying on my shelf, but I'm going to read it and I'm going to, I'm going to search it because I know He's trying to tell me things in here and trying to, to, to magnify my life through it. And then also when, he got, and when, you, get, when you look back to uh, Joshua and the same thing in the chapter, he told them, he said, serve God faithfully. And what did he say right after that? He said, and get rid of the foreign gods. In other words, Go do something. Go change the way you live. Don't get up in the morning and just say, I'm going to do it. Get up in the morning and change the way you live. Change what you're doing. Change how you, how you function. Change how you treat your family. It's never too late to start. Listen, we've all made mistakes. We've all, anybody here that don't have a do-over, something you wish you could go back and do over with your family and kids, I think most of us probably do. But you can't change yesterday. But you don't have to stay on the same course and mess tomorrow up. Because God says, I'm here, and I would like, you know, I'd like to, to, to pull you through that. And, you know, and our society today pushes us away from that because everything today is, is about success oriented. Have this, have this, do this, do this. And it's driving. It is not easy. I'm not standing here this morning saying what we're talking about is easy. But the world needs it. Our society needs it. Our churches need it. Our children need it. Our schools need it. They need to look around and see some men doing what men are supposed to be doing and acting like men are supposed to be doing, acting, and looking like men are supposed to look. And, we, and we've, lo we've lost some of that in our society and what we're doing. And then, all right, he says, okay, fear God, walk in His ways. In other words, have a reverence for Him, live my life like it, regardless. He's first. He needs to be first in my life. And then he does, he, it's amazing what he does here. There's four provisions in this passage, and if you'll look at it, it pretty much sums up what we need in life. Verse 2, he said, you'll eat the fruit of your labor. 
All right? In other words, you're going to work, but Genesis told us when he abandoned us from the garden, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to earn, your, earn what you need. But he says, you're going to work, but you're going to have what you need. And that does. Then look right down below that. He said, blessings and prosperity will be yours. He said, not only will you have what you need, you're going to have more than you need. Now, he's not talking about millions of dollars in there. Here, listen, everybody in this room is prosperous compared to most of the world. Where, where Lyle is this morning, we're all prosperous. So he's saying, you're going to have more than you need. Just that simple. God says, if you, if you, if you fear me, if you reverence me, if you live your life like I've asked you to live, and it don't mean we do it perfect, but if you live my life, you're going to have what you need. You're going to have more than you need. And then look down, he talks about his family. He said, your wife will be like a fruitful vine, and your sons will be like olive shoots. You're going to have a happy, you're going to have the kind of home you want. God said, if you reverence me, you live for me, you're going to have what you need. You're going to have more. You're going to have a happy home. And then over in verse 5, and he said, may the Lord bless you from Zion in the days of your life, and may you see prosperity in Jerusalem. If we will live like that as a nation of people, he said, your nation's going to prosper. It has for a long time until we've quit living like that as a whole, if you look at it. And, he, and, and then, he, then he comes down and he talks about his nation. And then lastly, he says, and you'll see your children's children. He's talking about his future family. He said, you'll see your grandchildren. In other words, everything that a father would really want in that passage, to have what he needs, to have work, to have more than he needs, to have a happy home, to have an extended family and children and grandchildren, and to live in a prosperous world, God says, I will bless you with that if you'll fear me and if you'll live under my, and follow my ways and live that way. It's that simple. It's, it, it's really so simple in our lives. I mean, there's a lot of other involved in it, but God said, that's first. I will bless you. In verse 4, again, again in verse 4, he said, Thus blessed is the man... Who fears the Lord? He comes back and says that again. Chapter uh, Psalms one twelve. He comes back and talks about. He said the children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth is and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. The gracious and compassionate and righteous man, God will come to him who is generous and lends freely and conducts in justice. And surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. And then down at the end of that psalm, he said, the longings of the wicked will account for nothing. Listen, there's one thing we have to realize. We can be good men. We can be good dads. We can be good husbands. We can be successful as anybody according to the world's standards. And if it's not in line with God, it's, it's worthless. If we are not believers and we don't leave our children to know Jesus, it's a waste it, in the end. And even for a believer, when we see over in the passage in a... I think in Matthew when he talks about uh, testing our works in the fire. And even for a believer, he says your works will be tested. And if they stand the test of the fire, you'll be rewarded. But if, if they're burned up, you will be spared, but will, will send them smoke on your clothes. So even, even a believer can miss the mark. I mean, even, even as followers of Jesus, we can get our priorities wrong in this world we live in today and, and miss the mark and miss who we're called to be. And so I think that the, the issue we're looking at is going, it's not about my strength and ability to be a great dad and to be a real man and a real dad. I thought I had it all figured out until I saw my daughter for the first time, and I realized I, if God don't help me, I'm in trouble here because you realize just how inadequate you are because before that, if I didn't have a job next week, it was okay. Now if I don't have a job, we don't eat. And so you, you start understanding all of that. And uh, 
but the Lord said he will, he will take care of us and watch over us and give us what we need. Passage in Matthew, remember, he talks about the birds of the air and lilies of the field. And God says, you know, why do you worry about those things? Well, I'm a man. I overplan. I travel, I take too much. I cook, I cook too much. I go to buy something to work on the house, I buy too much. But that's our nature. I want to know what's going to happen next year, and I want to know now so I can plan for it. And that's part of what gears us and part of what makes us men that, that care for families. But God says in that passage, what you say right down at the end of it? But he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. God's really trying to tell us, I know all these things are monumental, but I promise you, if you put me first, I've got you back. If you put me first, you'll have what you need. That's not easy to do. I, I, I know. It's not easy to sit there today not sure what's going to happen next week and going, I, I'm trusting God. He said he would do it. He said he would do it. But as men, we have to learn to do that because usually what happens when we get involved in it, it turns into a mess. And, 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 and so, but just helping us to understand that it's about our obedience to him. It's about our confidence in him. It's about our love for him to say, God, I'm trusting you with my life. I'm trusting you with my children. I'm trusting you with my ability to be a good father. I don't have this figured out, but I'm trusting you to do it. And, and that's the thing I think he's driving home this morning. And just thinking a little bit right here at the end, kind of a test. Just kind of ask ourselves what we're doing. This is just some self-analysis questions that I was thinking about last night. What do you think people you know say about you when your word comes up in conversation? What do you think they know? What do you think they say? What do you hope they're saying? That's a good question. What do you hope they say about you? When people talk about you in church, out of church, in the community, in home, your kids, what do they say about you? What do you? How do you want to be remembered, especially by your family? What kind of legacy do you want? What, what do you want people to say about you? What are the final results of your life from a spiritual perspective going to look like when you're gone? Did you accomplish much for God? Ask yourself this. Will my life make a spiritual difference after I'm gone? Is things I'm doing now going to have impact spiritually after I'm gone? Am I invested in a church? Am I invested in people's lives? Am I pouring into people that's going to live after me? And I'm not saying we're not. I'm saying this is just a good little set of questions to ask ourselves as real men and dads this morning and try to understand. Would you be satisfied with the legacy? He was a real man and a real father because he loved God and he lived his life accordingly. I think I'd be satisfied with that myself to make the, for people to remember me. Real men and real fathers. I'm talking about godly men here. Basically, that's what I'm talking about when we talk about real. I'm talking about men, authentic, that, that are God-fearers and God-lovers. Make a choice. Trust Jesus and do whatever it takes to live that out. Listen, the world needs us. And, 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 I've, and I've been blessed as a dad, and my daughters are up, and my daughters are doing well, and it would be easy for me to sit and say, well, I've done my part. But no... I want the next generation and the next generation and the next generation to experience the more level-headed, safe society that I come up in. And it was starting to get a little woolly right on the end of mine. But, but it, the only way it's going to happen is we continue to live up to the standards of the kind of, of, kind of the father that raised me. We were talking about work ethic one time, and, I, and somebody asked me, because I, I was raised on a farm, and I worked from the time I was 6 or 7, I hired out when I was 10. And somebody said, what? Your father must have been big on work ethic. I said, he had the greatest work ethic plan in the world. You live here, you eat here, you go to work. That, that, was, that was till I was 20-something out of the service. And by, 
But I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for, for, for what he meant to me. And so, but that's the thing that I want to pass on, and I want, and I want to try to other people to see in me. The challenge, our call today, I think is pretty simple. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is a great verse. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God said, you just stick to doing what you're supposed to do in the way I've led you to do it, in the way I've taught you to do it, in the way Scripture says to do it, and it's not in vain. You may look around and say, I don't know what that kid's going to turn out to be. And God says, I do. Just hang in there. Just keep praying. Just keep doing. Just keep, just keep doing what you're supposed to do. There's a war on our family and society today. There's a war on our homes. And guys, and, and listen, moms are just important. But I'm saying today, it's Father's Day. It's got to start with men becoming fathers again. Standing the test of time. And listen, I know life throws some curves sometimes. And listen, there may be some dads sitting in here and say, well, you don't understand. Sometimes life's not fair. Sometimes you can't change things. Sometimes you just got to roll with what's there. But there's never an excuse for you not to be the best dad you can be in all circumstances. And if you'll do that, I promise you, if you'll hold up your end of the deal, it'll be rewarded. I've I've personally seen that. And I share that with you this morning. But um, it's just a call to us as dads. God bless you here today. I know there's so many in this room that I've gotten to know over the years and and know the legacy you have in this area and your children here and your children's children here in this church and other churches. And I commend you for that. And uh, just pray that God will take the word today and, and not not chastise us with it. That wasn't my intention. But just to challenge us and just to call us out and just to say, hey, time to start reclaiming what we know is good and what we've seen in years past that was good and not this garbage we see today in the movies and TV and all that says this is what dads are. No, it's not. Dads are dads like my dad who, who plowed a 50-acre farm with mules because he had kids to feed and didn't fuss about it. Or, and, and, and all of y'all would have similar circumstances here this morning. So just, just, just asking God to just keep pouring into each of us, give us the strength and energy to do it, and just uh, praise you for, for all you are this morning and, and all the men in this room. We thank him for him.